0: Hi guys, welcome to a special episode of Unknown Passage that's not really planned out, Um, but it is in lieu of an actual episode this week because as I put up a update a few days ago, I had a really bad, mainly like sinus and my ears were totally blocked and then I got over that and yesterday I completely like blew my sciatic nerve, which has happened once before but it's been threatening to do it again Um, (laughs) which it did while I was hand washing something over the laundry sink Um, and I've been just like in excruciating pain and I'm just pushing through it and trying to relax my back. So really the last week I just haven't been able to mentally, I just have not had the mental capacity to deal with absorbing new information beyond my day job. I'm trying to laugh through it Um, but if you saw how I'm sitting right now to counteract this then I know a lot of you have probably dealt with your sciatic nerve before and I just have bad posture and I've done it to myself really. On top of like I bought this soft bed overlay about six months ago and ever since then my back's just been getting progressively worse and I think it's done more damage than like it's meant to help um so I've had to like take it off my bed because it's just completely misaligning my back and making knots worse but as I speak to you right now I can literally feel like a disc in my back that's kind of meant to be in the middle on the side (laughs) so I thought I'd give you something a little bit different like a short little bonus episode so you know that I'm not dead or whatever um And I just came up with it because quite a lot of you are going to Europe this year or for summer or planning to for the European winter. And you ask me, where would I recommend? And I'm like the worst person to ask because I actually like kind of everywhere I go. There's only been a couple of places that I've been to, I think, ever anywhere um, that Kind of i 've had a bad feeling about or just haven 't had a good time, and really, the only one of those was Budapest, surprisingly, um, that just didn 't grab me or anything like that and then everywhere else, I just kind of take it for what it is, and I enjoy a totally different culture and i 'm kind of easily charmed so so i 'm um, not a very like biased person when it comes to this stuff. So I'm going to count down my top 10 backwards um, that I've just quickly put together and give you a few pointers of what to do and and why I liked it. If this isn't your style of episode, just you'll have to wait till the next one, which will be probably, um, I'm working on it now, but it's taking a lot of kind of research um, additional and so that's why it's taking a little bit longer. So let's go backwards from number 10. My number 10 on my list that I have put is Florence in Italy, Um, somewhere I've been lucky to visit twice. And the second time was because a friend of mine, I think I've mentioned it before, moved there for art school while I was living in England. So I got to return for the second time, which was way more enjoyable than the first. The first was quite cold. It was in winter. This time it was September. I went for my birthday. It was it was still really hot, um and Florence really absorbs heat it 's really hot because there's kind of it 's a really built up city and there 's nowhere for it to go it 's not on the coast or anything like that uh, but it was just amazing, and I always look back on it with really fond memories because my friend had an apartment right near the Ponte Vecchio bridge, and the first night I arrived. We literally took our cups of tea from her apartment down and walked to the Ponte Vecchio like one minute away and we're just drinking our cups of tea on the Ponte Vecchio at like 10 o'clock at night and it just was like this surreal kind of experience because it's such an ancient bridge that has served such an important purpose in Florence. But in general, just Florence is amazing. Obviously, if you're into art, it is um I think it definitely pays before you go to Italy to do some research into, even if you're not really into art, to kind of have a grasp of a little bit of the history of the artists that came from Florence. Most of them would move or be commissioned to... Um, which we talked about on the Leonardo da Vinci episodes. They'd be commissioned to go up to Rome and work for the Vatican. But they came from Florence. And when you're walking the streets of Florence, you're walking in the steps of greatness. You're walking the steps that Michelangelo uh, walked, you know, around making people's lives hell because he was a bit of a prick. But um, just kind of when you, if you can... (laughs) kind of push out all the tourists around you taking photos and kind of just picture yourself, you're living like you're like in the energy of these incredible people, you know, Da Vinci and Michelangelo and all of these incredible artists that call that city home. And as a result, obviously, you can go to the Uffizi Gallery, which is huge and amazing, um, or go to the Academia, so it's called the gallery that now houses David and it's pretty much just David in there and as you walk in and you come around the corner there is this world famous piece David and when you see I saw someone talking recently about how you know art these days it's just junk compared to what it was and when you look at the detail on the hands, which are the hardest part for a sculptor or an artist to capture the reality of. When you look at the detail on David's hands, the veins in his hands or the detail on his feet... And you can look at other pieces of art where marble has been crafted to look like lace or rope. It's amazing. I've got photos of it um, that I'm going to post in the Patreon that really just caps your imagination. You just realise that these people were, if there is like a gift from God, they they were given it, you know. That's what makes me so sad when I see like modern art, like one I went to in Prague one time, which had literally shit smeared on the walls and that's not art I'm sorry and a toilet in plum a toilet or a banana taped to a wall is not um and that will all come into fruition when you see pieces you know like David um or the Pietra in Rome um so yeah just Florence is amazing I had an amazing birthday there because we went to a restaurant right opposite the Duomo Cathedral which is made from these greens and pinks marbles and I remember at the time I did this walking tour the first time I went to Florence and they talked about the Medici history of Florence and I was 23 and the tour guide said the guy who designed and built the Duomo and they used marble from a nearby mountain range and it's naturally pink and green he was 23 at the time um that he did it and then the tour guide said what what were you doing at 23 and I was literally thinking I'm looking at something that a guy who was 23 made (laughs) so is that, but it's just amazing if you can if you can go on a day where you can climb, which we did to the top of the Duomo. You look out over kind of beyond Florence into Tuscany because it's the capital of Tuscany. And yeah, we went out for this really nice meal, and um, the man who owned it was there with his friends, all smoking and drinking, eating El fresco. And um, when they heard it was my birthday, they brought out like a dessert and a bottle of prosecco, and they all sang. Um, happy birthday, um, from memory, from my Italian lessons in primary school. It's like Tiago no Um, and they all sang that and I've got a video of it and it was just one of the most special, special things that have happened. And, um, in terms of traveling and I'll always remember that. So yeah, Florence is just incredible. And, um, I know it gets super hot July, August. So, and also just keep in mind a lot of the old European cities, their, their buildings that you're staying in don't have air conditioning, which people realise really quickly. Um, a lot of them have been equipped, but a lot of them just aren't, don't have the capacity to be. So a lot of people complain about air conditioning. So if that's like a make or break for you, um, you'll have to kind of rent one with air conditioning because particularly in Paris, they push back against air conditioning still and no one has air conditioning because it's like, well, what's the point for a few super hot days a year, which is true. Um, so, and then everyone bakes inside. So um, keep that in mind. So that was number 10. I feel like such a tourist when I say my number nine, but number nine is London because it's the first place in Europe I ever touched down in after a 24 hour flight. And I'd been up for about 10 hours before that flight and I'd never sleep on flight. So I was up for the whole thing. And then I went to my, it was just so much excitement from the moment I stepped on the tube at Heathrow out to the hostel. And then from the hostel, I went, I couldn't sleep. It was like five in the morning. I couldn't even check in. So they held my luggage and I just, I was deliriously tired. And I just walked around London for like eight hours. I just, I remember ringing my mum and being like, I just... Every corner you go around, there's something that you know because you've seen it before on something and it just like blew my mind. So whenever I watch, you know, the Queen's funeral or coronation, it's like I've been there and I know most of you will have, you know, that feeling like it's on the other side of the world from me. It's a 24-hour flight But it feels like it could be around the corner because you know it so well. And then obviously, like, I've I've been a lot of times and then I moved to England and I would go to London on weekends and things like that. And it's as much as it's a big city and it's changed and, um, you know, it's got like a little bit crazy with crime and stuff. It is just still an amazing city that I think people discount, oh, London, you know, whatever. One thing I noticed that when I lived in in, in Oxford it- nobody I knew ever went to London. And I used to kind of comment on it to people. And they'd be like, I haven't been to London for 10 years. And I'd be like, it's not even an hour away. But I'm the same where wherever you live. Um, that tends to happen. I've never been to Tasmania, and it's right next door, kind of. Um, but they'd be really anti-London, you know, they're really anti-Londoners. Um, but I just, it's, I just love walking in London. Um, I love getting the tube in London too. But just walking in London is such a spectacle, you know, and when you read about the history of it, and I listened to a really good um, podcast since it started, and I'll give it a shout out now. Um, and it's a bit nerdy, but it's run by a, or hosted by a historian that I've loved for about 10 years. And she used to be on a lot of BBC and ITV, um, shows and, um, she Her name's Dr Susanna Lipscomb and she's just so into um British history and particularly Tudor history. And when a few years ago she launched her own podcast called Not Just the Tudors, I was so excited and I've never missed an episode. I just love it. It's so relaxing to listen to. I learn so much and every episode's different. And you talk about, you know, last week it was the Great Fire of London and I didn't know anything about that. And then the week before that it was... Tudor, the Tudor period in Ireland, and I'd never thought about how the Irish played into it or whether the Tudors ruled over them. And um, it's kind of built this real love for me of Tudor history. And I said to someone the other day, I wish I knew all of this stuff before I went to England um, and to Scotland in particular, uh, because it would have just really it amplified my experience. I went to so many sites that come up on not just the tutors and um, that I just had no concept of the history of at all, you know. Um, and so now I try to make like a habit of learning about that because I know one day I will be back. I, You know, England is kind of my second home and um, England and Scotland and um. Yeah. So listen to not just the Tudors. It's just so enjoyable. They just do so many different episodes. Um. About Henry the Eighth and his different wives. And not just the Tudors. <laughs> Literally, they do the Stuarts and um they do coronation history and they do um Scottish history and they do a bit of Spanish. You know um history and how that ties in during the Tudor period. And yeah, I've just learned so much. And so yeah, London just love walking around, you know, that part where you come out of Piccadilly Circus and you walk down and then there's Trafalgar Square and then you turn a corner and there's the Mell and then there's Buckingham Palace at the end of the Mell and then there's Hyde Park. And it's like, whoa, whoa, it's like an assault to the senses. Um, But I think people who live in London lose the magic a little bit um, and forget about it. And so that's why I never wanted to live in London, because I wanted it to be a treat for me when, when I would visit it, I knew that if I lived in London, I would be a hardened transplant in London, pissed off getting the tube every day. And on weekends, I'd never visit this stuff. And so I kept it as my little, my little treat for me. Number eight is Amsterdam. It was a place that I didn't expect to like. I miss, I skipped over it the first time I was backpacking around Europe because I just thought it would be like bucks parties and um, sex work like out in the open and I just loud, you know, tourists and so I skipped it. And then the second time I went and I met my friend Lauren in Malaysia and we were on the same flight, long story, to Paris and we ended up not only being on the same flight but staying at the same hostel in the same room and now we're still friends and it's almost like, it's like synchronicity the ultimate synchronicity that's ever happened in my life and how that all worked out. And that's a really long story. And we traveled together for like six weeks after that. But after we were done in Paris, we were deciding where to go because we, I was starting my UK visa and she had, she was going to fly from uh, back to Canada from Ireland. So she had like six weeks and so we were just kind of traipsing around and we were going to go to Spain but it was winter and then we were going to go to P- Poland because she hadn't been to Krakow and I love Krakow and I'd been and it was too far away from France and um. so we she ultimately one day said at breakfast, have you been to Amsterdam? It's really fun and it's just an amazing city and I said, oh, no, I wasn't really interested. And so by the next day we were on a train, that's another long story, to Amsterdam and we just kept extending our stay we were meant to stay for like 3 days and we just kept every day just extending extending and we were staying in this strange bed and breakfast it's such a long story with this run by this russian woman who i never saw and Lauren didn't either she wouldn't she'd answer the door but she'd talk through the door so Lauren couldn't see her and she lived above this strange bed and breakfast and she didn't care if you paid or didn't or when you paid and she, when we checked in, she told Lauren, she said to Lauren, if you two can smoke marijuana inside, that would be great because I love the smell of it. It was like really strange. (laughs) So we were like, okay. Um, and so it was just super cheap in a really strange way. And it was right kind of on the outskirts of the city and a really enjoyable tram ride in. And every day was just wandering and it was cold it was winter the canals were frozen we'd warm up in these coffee shops and get stoned and like and it was really strong like uh, in the end we had to kind of relegate that to the end of the day because i'm just useless if i even take like a toke and so yeah we just Um, going to all the different museums, the Anne Frank House, um, the Amsterdam Sex Museum. Feels weird to follow that up with that Um, because Anne Frank was the first book as a big girl, you know, that my mum ever bought me and I've still got that copy and it meant so much to me. And so going there was another out-of-body experience. I didn't, when I was in there, I didn't feel like I was really in there because how can, how can you be reading this your whole life and rereading it and then you'd be standing right where it happened? It felt, weird but because it was winter there was no lines um so I just walked straight in at like nine o'clock in the morning and I've got so many funny stories of lovely locals I met who gave me directions and one man who walked me the whole way to Anne Frank's house um, because I got really lost because of directions that Lauren wrote down that were backwards. And um, yeah, we just had an amazing time. Ultimately, we did have run-ins with a lot of Bucks nights. As it goes, we met a bunch of Scottish topless waiters who were on a Bucks night. And then we saw one of them in Edinburgh about two weeks later, randomly in the street. The world's a really strange place. Um, And he was with his wife, so we didn't we didn't go up to him. And um, all in all, like, it was just incredible. And when we left, we were both just so down that day, we we didn't really talk that much as we made our way out to the bus station to go across uh, to get the ferry from Calais to Dover. And and we were going into England, you know, when I was activating my visa, because we both just felt so flat. And I remember thinking "I, I might return here and, and live here one day. And I didn't, I had that thought about so many different places. Paris was another one. Um, But, yeah, Amsterdam is so much more than kind of debauchery and vulgarity and bucks and hens nights. It really is. So if you ever get the chance to go, um, there's a reason that people just love it so much. Number seven is Krakow or Krakow in Poland. It's not the capital. Um, It is in the south, kind of near the Czech border. Um, I came to Krakow when I'd been in Budapest and I hadn't had a great time because I'd had a really bad cold that was getting worse. I was coughing up like green stuff. It was the middle of winter. I'd never experienced cold like that as an Australian. People had warned me, but I had no concept of how cold it was and I can handle cold. I prefer it over heat. But in Budapest, I'd been walking and then every second shop I'd have to go into to warm up. I felt like someone had told me it feels like your bones are breaking when you're not used to it. And I realised really quickly I had like pains in my legs. Like Australians are not equipped for that. I know there's a listener, Adam, who's from Melbourne, who said the same thing when he went to Auschwitz. Like me, it was just, just couldn't get beyond kind of the cold. But um, Krakow was just, I, I, because I didn't think, I didn't think much of Budapest and it's really the only place I didn't think much of. I expected the same from Krakow and I was really surprised by how colourful and ornate and beautiful it is. And you realise when you read a little bit of history that the reason it wasn't totaled like the Nazis kind of flattened Warsaw was because Hitler, because he had an artist's eye, I suppose, because he was a budding artist and he appreciated art. And so he said, don't bomb the Ponte Vecchio Bridge in Italy and don't, you know, specific pieces of art. And we've talked about this extensively with Nazis and art on this podcast. Krakow was a city where he wanted it untouched to retain its beauty and I guess that's probably one common thing I have in common with him. The only thing, other than having like dark hair and liking art, um, because it was retained completely. Um, and so I just have so many amazing memories of Krakow. Um, I went on a, this private tour with this other girl from my hostel. We went, I think I've talked about it before on the, on the Max Spears episode, maybe we walked, it was like a three or four hour walking tour in the cold run by this local girl. It was incredible. And it was so cheap because it was so cheap at the time to go to Poland. Um, I think it cost $20. We tipped her so much because it was amazing. And it was a tour of the Kazimierz district, which is the Jewish district of Krakow. And um, essentially, like, it's it's marketed as a Schindler's List tour because they filmed most of it in the actual sites that happened in Kazimierz, Um and so you go to the sites of the filming which is really trippy because half of the what is the Jewish ghetto in the movie is actually like a youth hostel so you're it's really strange seeing it in person because it seems so small but on film it looks so big um and but you're standing where it actually happened and and you know there's a reason they filmed it there for real and it was just amazing. We went to the Kazimierz synagogues and the Jewish cemeteries. And I've got really kind of haunting, uh, haunting photos of that. But I went to the Oscar Schindler Museum as well later that day with this girl. And it's just such an underrated museum that no one ever talks about. It's where he's, Uh, Fabrica Amalia, Oscar Schindler factory was, which is depicted in the movie. And you can still see so much of the pots and pans, you know, that they made there and um, all the stuff that they fabricated. And it's it's a place of hope, you know, and kept people alive. And then obviously the next day I went to Auschwitz, which I've talked about before, and I wish I could do it again. But in warmer weather, because I just my memories of it are so clouded by this terrible cold I had that it seemed like everyone on, on the tour, because you have to do a tour there um, you can't just walk around. Everyone seemed sick, um, really kind of out of it. Um, it was completely thick snow. There was like a snowstorm when we were at Birkenau and I couldn't get kind of past how I was, how sick I felt. Um, but I did absorb a lot of it and obviously of all the places I've been, Auschwitz I think is one the one that's the most surreal to me that I went there when I watched a documentary or something. I can't put myself there it's really strange like it's such a long way away from where I am now but when you're there it's just such a surreal experience that they're telling you these things happened there but the place is empty you know being winter and you just can't imagine a million people coming through there or fitting there or it's yeah but luckily I did I did retain a lot that we had a really great tour guide and he he told us so many interesting things that I'd never heard before. Um, and so I retained like a lot of it. Um, and so there's a lot of bad behavior at Auschwitz now. Like it makes me sick. It's like an influencer destination. Um, I can't even talk about it. It makes me so mad. Um, and so, yeah, just, it's definitely worth it. The other one to, is the I don't know how to pronounce it but it's the salt mines in Krakow which are really popular which I did not get a chance to go to when they're like these underground salt mines where there's a cathedral made out of salt and it was actually like producing salt for Poland and Europe until like 20 years ago since the 1400s or something incredible there's just so much that Krakow offers um and so on my bucket list when I went there was, I really want to go to so many other places in Poland. I'd love to just over a month travel across Poland because just the the countryside, you know, Auschwitz is about 30 minutes from Krakow, but just the countryside. And um, it's just got, it's something really special that is really underrated. And I've noticed that it's got really high kind of immigration rates now in terms of expats moving to Poland for a better life. And there's so many benefits of that including um, people moving to Hungary as well for many reasons and it just it offers like a better quality of life especially if you're a digital nomad who can work from anywhere and they're starting to offer those. Um, so definitely look into that if you're kind of a free agent and can do what you want to do. Um, those two places really offer like so many benefits that other places don't as well as if you're on a wage that's like kind of a higher wage because you're working for a foreign company or something and you can get the chance to get a freelancer visa, a digital nomad visa, then, and more and more countries are jumping on board that train, there's so many of them, then those two places, there's a reason that more and more people are traveling there. Poland is considered the most religious place in Europe um, and kind of with the kind of I guess, degradation of society. It's drawing more people there um, and, you know, for good reason. Number six was a toss-up for me because I had to choose a place from this country, but I went to two places, so I had to choose. So I've gone with Vienna, Austria, Um, and I went to both the city of Salzburg in Austria because I'd always wanted to go there because it's where they filmed The Sound of Music and it's very much based around that, the tourism. But I also went to Vienna and I didn't think that I would like Vienna that much. I didn't know much about it. Um, and it's not really famous for big sights, you know, famous things. All I really knew was I love the before sunrise, you know, movies. Um, before sunrise, before sunset, um, before midnight. I always get confused with if it's before or after the ones with Julie Delphi and Ethan Hawke. And all I knew really of Vienna was that there was a Ferris wheel, um, a couple of palaces, and that in that movie they, it was in Vienna. Um, So when I went to Vienna, I was just really struck. It was winter. I was really struck by just how pristine and perfect everything is. And so the first night I was there, it was close to Christmas and they had Christmas markets at the, at the town hall, which are just beautiful. And when you walk in, you can just smell like the pretzels and the gingerbread and the hot chocolate and the coffee. And it's just this all encompassing kind of Assault to the census and its senses, and it's amazing. And so, when I went to my hostel, I I said to him, (laughs) I went to the guy at the front desk and I said, Is it safe for me to go out at night? Because it was like eight o'clock at night, it was dark, and get the train, you know? And he laughed at me and he said, Vienna's like the safest city one of the safest cities in the world. We don't like have any crime. And I soon realized when I went to Austria, like just how true that was. Like you can pretty much just walk around. And I kind of just, people's dogs really struck me. Everyone's dogs are like these pedigree. They've got like bows in their fur. They've got like, dog salons everywhere like and I was like if they treat their animals like that the odds are they're not like out to rob you and it didn't feel like people were lurking in every corner like kind of sussing about it It didn't kind of the opposite of that for me in terms of experience was Barcelona like it feels like people are watching you or sus things are going on which more and more I hear from listeners the number one place where dodgy things have happened or I read stories that are horrific on travel forums it always comes back to Barcelona which is really sad because um, it's an amazing city in its own right um but Vienna, yeah, it's just got something really special. And I guess we've talked about it in terms of um the different psychiatrists that came from Vienna. You know, Freud was famous for coming from Vienna. Um and it's just it hasn't got the big sights. I went out to the Schoenbrunn Palace, um, which was amazing. I think it's meant to be better in summer though. Um and if that's the summer house of the Habsburgs, then it just that's just disturbing because they only stayed there in summer, and it's like the size of the suburb I live in in Melbourne, um, and yeah, it was just, it was just a place to kind of wander without really having a list of things to do. And I found people really friendly, even though people don't really talk about Austrians like that. And again, like people say the Dutch are arrogant or rude, but I found the people in Amsterdam so friendly. Like it felt like everywhere you went, they were like, hello, hello, walking down the street, hello. And also if if you're kind of worried about language, I, the places where people really spoke it, and I forgot to say this on the Polish one, everyone in Austria speaks English. Like it, they speak to you without, they don't even start in German. They just know you're a tourist and they start speaking English. And I always felt really bad about that, you know, cause I don't speak German, but in the Netherlands as well, like everyone does so easily. So if you're in a pickle, um, they're kind of the better places for it to happen. But I will say, and I've said this to someone recently who asked, Things may be different now, but 10 years ago or more when I went to uh, Poland and Hungary, no one spoke English. Like, asking for directions, you just couldn't. Um, There was just... And I didn't have a smartphone. It was, like, early days, you know. Um, I had to go to Wi-Fi in, like, an internet cafe, and it was quite difficult to kind of get help, especially in Hungary. But when more and more tourists come, these people just haven't had the opportunity to learn English, and it's not also... It's not a priority um, because they have their own languages and people have to realise that, you know, there's nothing worse than seeing a tourist yelling at someone to speak English in a place like, you know, Vietnam. Like, why the fuck do you expect them to do that? It, like, enrages me and I won't I won't name the nationalities who I've seen doing that, but I will say it's always the same two or three nationalities and I'll, I'll leave it at that. But, yeah, Austria just so pretty so interesting, even though it may not seem like it from the surface, with a really fascinating history and don't discount going there. Um, Yeah. So number five is a place that's so close to my heart. Um, And it is Santorini in the Greek islands. So my parents loved Santorini and I think they loved it a lot because my older brother was conceived there so he has always said that he is part Greek which is not how it works um, and so my mum my parents went away for like six months backpacking Europe back in the day so she w- started getting morning sickness when like they were in Germany or something and she's got like some funny stories about being really sick just across not really funny but just like craving certain foods and then going to Italy and being in a meat market and vomiting and then eating jelly, red jelly, because that's all that she could eat because she was so sick. And then she threw it all up and my dad said it looked like she was hemorrhaging. Um, But anyway, um, it's meant to be like the most romantic place in the world, which I guess I don't even want to think about it, but I suppose for my parents it was at the time. And so I went to Santorini. Um, my brother's never been actually. <laughs> gone back to the homeland. Um, and so I went there on a whim when I was living in England and I'd had a bit of a rough trot and I need to get away. And it was, um, May, it was coming into summer, but not peak summer season. And I literally like tossed a coin, um, of where to go. It was either I was going to Dublin um, for a trip because I could get a cheap flight either way or to Santorini. And I got this in, impossibly cheap fare and I I went for two weeks to Greece and um, I flew to Mykonos and I didn't think much of Mykonos. It's very touristy. But Santorini is just, it's this ancient, I've talked about Greece on the podcast, on the Greek episodes, but it's this ancient, ancient island that has just something for everyone. It's got these ancient relics. It's got, you know, a lot of people think the lost city of Atlantis was under Santorini um, or is under Santorini. You've got the caldera of the volcano that you look out. But obviously the most famous thing is the white cliffs, which uh, they will have to be white. And when you come in at sunset, like I did on a ferry, I my, my eyes were prickling with tears because it's like such a, a beautiful sight. Um, and I did all kinds of things um, while I was there. Sadly, one of the things I regret the most when traveling, and I'm usually pretty like ethical, was going on a donkey down the, down the cliff side of Santorini and I look back like even at the time I felt weird about it but I did it with this guy that was staying where I was staying that we I'd met and he rented an ATV and we went into Fira which is the capital and I did it and I just felt so gross the whole time how they were hitting the donkeys and the donkeys looked really malnourished and they go right down the cliffside and then up again. And then I had this again I won't out the nationality but I had someone who was severely like obese on a donkey his back in front of me screaming yee so you figure out what nationality that was not that I hate them but like it was just a grotesque spectacle um and then I just felt gross about that but I just met some just incredible people I spent the whole week with I still keep in touch with and and we went out like every night in to these beach bars near where we were staying and Santorini has the black volcanic sand beaches and they're so unique and um just the, the Greek people are so friendly like you know me I'll always like talk them up um because they're just wonderful people um and they really do the art of relaxation well um my brother recently where he's living he his housemates had um, this old Greek uh, man come over who was related to one of them. And my brother, he texted me, he said, why do they, why are they all yelling? Like he said, we were just having a normal conversation. He's yelling at me. <laughs> and he was like, I sent him this meme that I had about like Greeks yelling and put him onto this Australian group of Greek um, co- comedians who make fun of him. And he said, that's exactly what I was like because his housemates are Greek and when they get their lamb spit like once a week they had carried over their shoulder so I sent him one of their skits of that and I said to him don't ever go to Greece because they're all just like yelling at you like next level they're like Italians they really like show their emotions and stuff but one of the things that I really loved about the Greek islands was not only was Santorini super cheap at the time um but it's not anymore but when you would go out in the morning there'd be someone like an old man or something and there's a suburb near me in Melbourne because Melbourne's got the second biggest Greek population behind Greer's. There'd be old men sitting at like a taverna playing cards, you know, like quintessential Greeks drinking their, you know, espresso and and then you'd come home from a full day out on a four-wheeler and you'd have seen all the sights and gone to ear and all this, they'd still be sitting there. And I think they just are so content just doing nothing, just being in the company of their mates and and drinking their, you know, amazing Greek coffee, which is another highlight and just playing cards. There's no screens. It's just, and you see that near where I live in this little Greek community, they still do that. And it's just it's just something I really love, the ability to relax. I listened to a Greek comedian and he's like, when I relax, i like, I'm Greek, I really relax. Um, so, yeah, the Greek islands for sure. Number four, we're jetting across because it's still Europe to Scotland uh, to the city of Edinburgh, which is another place that's, you know, Just so many fond memories and a place I've spent ample time because I've been there first time I went overseas and then I, I returned hoping I'd get a job there and I've talked about that before. And so I spent a couple of months traversing the city daily on foot trying to find a job when no one could get a job at the time, not even locals. And I ended up having to kind of fold and go down to the south of England. And so I always felt like part of me in a sliding door's moment was living a life in Edinburgh. But I love the Scots. I talk about this all the time, obviously. Um, I just love the Scots and feel like a true affinity with them. I guess my family comes from Scotland. Um, and as my dad used to say, it feels like I'm going home when you go there, which it does. Um, but someone posted, a friend of mine online posted the, it was the scene in *Train Spotting*, the opening scene where Ewan McGregor and his mates are running up the street and the cops are chasing him. And it's like, you know, choose life, choose all that. And I said, I said to her, I can't ever watch this scene. And I loved that movie. And I actually studied it in uni, weirdly. I can't watch that scene because it was replaced When I moved to Edinburgh, that that street in that scene is Princess Street and it runs parallel to the Royal Mile. It's right in the heart of the city and it's a big shopping strip. And I I stayed on Princess Street when I was living in a hostel looking for work and every day I'd hit Princess Street going in looking for jobs. It's a massive street. And so whenever I watch it, it takes me back to these bitterly cold days um, in Edinburgh, uh, traipsing around with next to no money looking for a job and thinking I'd made the wrong decision. And kind of the sheen started to wear off a little bit for me as time went on. Um, and I'd go to, there's these kind of bridges that cross from Princess Street up to the Royal Mile where Edinburgh Castle is. And you're looking up at Edinburgh Castle on that precipice and it's amazing. And um, there'd, there'd be one of the bridges, there's always a, a bagpiper. And bagpipes make me like super emotional. And I'd sit there opposite him on this bench with like my coffee that I'd bought and I'd listen to him bagpipe with, you know, you're looking up at the castle and I was like, this is a magical experience and it's starting to wear off because in two weeks I'll have zero dollars like left. <laughs> and I remember thinking this city's going to be ruined for me if I end up homeless in it. Um, and a lot of people were in the same boat in the hostel that I was living in. So ultimately, I worked out and I got a job in England. But as the train departed out of Haymarket Station in Edinburgh at seven o'clock in the morning uh, for London that day, I started crying because I felt like I was leaving behind um, like a piece of myself in that city. And I never have been back. Um, but I know one day I will be back. Um, and yeah, I have a kilt that I bought that no longer fits me. Um, uh, because, I've I've had a kilt since I was a little girl. There's lots of pictures of me in in traditional kilts and things. But I've actually got like an adult kilt. Um, that I bought the first time I was in Edinburgh, and one day I'll f- maybe fit into it and wear it again. Um, but yeah, I just. I just love the Scots, you know, I love the energy of Scotland, best things to do in Edinburgh. Um, the people in my hostel, like every night they'd go out on the Grass Market, which is an old, ancient strip of of pubs. And some of these pubs are like older than... Australian Federation Time Six, you know. There's a pub there that's like seven hundred years old and it's called The Last Drop. And when you go into it the, they're still functional and you'd have a drink there and we'd bar hop along these pubs and we'd actually our favourite was an Irish pub, weirdly. But um and it was called like I can't think of what it was called. One of you might know it. It's like, it's something so Irish. It's like Maggie Maguire's or something. But The Last Drop, like the ceilings are about five foot high because everyone was short back then. And the story goes that a woman who was sentenced to be hung outside The Last Drop, they used to do public executions back in the day for witchcraft in Edinburgh way later than everyone else was doing it. And when you go to Edinburgh, do a ghost tour of the Edinburgh Underground, Mary King's Clothes and Grey Cemetery and they go into all of this. But basically she was sentenced to be hung or something and they did it. And because the sentence is like just the wording of it is that you – Sentenced to be hung, but not until you die. She didn't die for some reason. There was something wrong with the rope. And so, because of the wording of it, on a technicality, they had to let her go. And so, because she was hung, te- quote unquote, outside the last drop pub, she went and bought the last drop later on and she ran it until the end of her life. And there's just, whenever you go to Scotland, wherever you go, there's just these tiny little cool stories you know and when you do a night tour or a walking tour it's run by like a proper scot who knows their history it's just all these little like kind of easter eggs within easter eggs and definitely two of the scottish underground um because there's a city under a city in edinburgh called mary king's Close, which is where they it's been there forever and it's all walled up except for tours but it, they would put people with the plague down there to like separate them from society. And it's, it's fascinating and super haunting. And you also go into like the vaults under the ground where they would move like homeless people. And a lot of them are known to be haunted and definitely do a tour of Greyfriars Cemetery, the The nighttime ghost tour. I've done it twice because I made Lauren do it the second time I went um, because they take you to Cemetery, which is this. It's where J.K. Rowling, because she lived in Scotland, she would go there and a lot of the graves she took the names of for Harry Potter. So it's like there's a Tom Riddle and there's this and that. And they just play a prank on you that's so fucking frightening. And I knew it was coming and I was tense the whole time and I won't tell you what it is. But there's a lot of like ghostly occurrences that happen to people when they do that tour. And maybe I'll tell you one another time um, that happened to me because it's super weird. And they have a photo album at the front where if something weird happens to you once you've left to send in a photo of it and it's just weird like ghosts are like lashing out at you in that cemetery and they it's a place of like massive torture they would do torture there and all kinds of stuff and there's something to be said for it so definitely go to Edinburgh it's a magical magical city top three Number three is Paris, a place that a lot of people say, ugh, I hated it or it was dirty or dog shit everywhere, which is true. But they are trying to clean that part up. The French aren't renowned for using like rubbish bins for dog poo or collecting dog poo. Not that it really stood out to me when I've been there both times. Um, But Paris is something that comes into my life daily because I've got a client that's in Paris and I live and breathe kind of Paris tourist stuff so I feel like I know the city so well and I've been lucky enough to go a couple of times um and it's just a city you have to see at least once you know in your life everywhere like London everywhere you kind of turn there's something to marvel at but not only that the thing that I love about the French and a lot of people hate the French and I just don't get it um is because they have pride in the things in their city. Um, They take pride in their history. And there's something about patriotism for me um, that really makes me kind of fall in love with a nationality um, because I can't stand people who hate kind of where they're from. It's like, okay, well, go elsewhere um, if that's the case. Um, Take pride in the things around you. Take pride in your architecture. Take pride in your history, especially the good parts. Um, And the French really have that down, you know, um, They all of these Napoleonic era things, you know, and the knowledge that people have of their history there. But just, you know, they've had such a tumultuous history that has led them to kind of where they are now. And you can see that, I talked about this on the... I guess, on the Stealing of the Mona Lisa episode kind of in depth, but there's so many kind of this evolution of this city where things were once reserved for the aristocracy. It was for our eyes only art public parks and then when Napoleon came in he kind of was the one who made these things public domain. The Louvre was open to the public for the first time and now it's like the most visited landmark in the world. You know Paris has all of these amazing public parks which are open to the public and they're just incredible. I like the Jardin de Plante or the uh, Tuileries Gardens but there's so many but each kind of arrondissement as Paris is divided into and there's of them in Paris is its own kind of eclectic energy and it starts out the first is in the centre and it kind of spreads its way out in a coil kind of way and uh, yeah there's just nothing I can't say about Paris there's just um, I love French film as well Um, it's like my favourite world cinema I I just find the thing I love about French film is that they're so um, ballsy nothing kind of phases them they're not are we going to offend people are we going to they're not they don't see things through that lens in France i was talking with my french client about that she's like yeah that culture did, has not reached france thankfully um and it hasn't reached cinema they're not trying to push an agenda through film or anything like that they're like yeah this is going to be super fucked up violent their horrors really really scary their horror films um we're going to have like full frontal sex and nudity um and they've always kind of been like that with their film and with their art and they're still like that and that's why it's such a joy and such a kind of oh, breath of fresh air to watch french cinema or european cinema in general and that's why i love it um my favorite french films um I don't really love Amelie like everyone does, although Montmartre in Paris is somewhere you need to visit. It's absolutely amazing. It's a village, hilltop village in the city, which has so much, so much to see. It's little cobblestone laneways and everything. And Amelie lived in Montmartre. I love Irreversible, which makes me sound like a psychopath, but I love Vincent Cassell. He's my favourite, arguably my favourite actor in the world. He's a French actor. He was married to Monica Bellucci for a long time. Now he's married to like a 20-year-old, even though he's 55. I have issues, but I won't get into it. Um, and Irreversible kind of exemplifies it's in Paris, um, French cinema at its best in terms of everyone who's seen that movie, you say it and they just know it because it sticks in your mind so much because it's so in your face and so they're not just going to give you um a snapshot of something terrible that happens to someone, they're going to drag that out for 10 minutes, just so it sticks in your magic, like in your mind forever, which if you've seen it irreversible, it does. But he's also in a movie called Le Haine*, which is um, about the, the gangs of Paris in the nineties, which is a look at the Paris that people really don't, see and visitors will never have the opportunity to see through the lens of film which is why Parisian cinema is so awesome um but yeah i would recommend those too um and i just love the french language as well obviously um it just no matter if they're insulting you or if they're saying sweet nothings to you it all sounds just so classy and wonderful <laughs> um but essentially yeah i would recommend watching Irreversible. Now someone's gonna go and watch Irreversible and then send me some sort of abuse and say, why would you watch that? Well, you're an adult, so kind of wake up to yourself. But it's essentially a movie that works in reverse, so you're watching it from the end to the beginning. Um, and it's about a couple who, um, are in Paris and she is raped in a, in a train station, and it's really confronting. And her partner goes to seek out the person who did it to her and exact his revenge. And it's just so haunting and shocking. But weirdly, I've seen it like a bunch of times. And I think it's one of the most famous French films. Um, So check out that. And Le Hain, which is H-L-E-H-A-I-N-E. Number two for me is Rome in Italy, capital of Italy. And just... I think on an episode I talked about Rome and I said every corner you come around, you know, there can be something modern and then there's the Colosseum. And someone said to me, that's exactly kind of how they experienced it. It was like, okay, there's a modern building and then it was bang, the Trevi Fountain, like, right next to it, and it it really is kind of, I really thought it was everything I thought it would be. Some places, they don't look or feel like you thought they would, obviously, and Rome really did, and I think I have talked about it before, but the movie Gladiator is, like, my third favourite movie, and I get a lot of shit for that someone laughed at me so hard years ago for it and I developed like a complex about it and I was like why are you laughing about it it's not just the spectacle of the whole thing and the history of it but it's like it's the depiction of Rome kind of you know in all its glory I can't really explain it but kind of how in the movie when Oliver Reed is discussing Rome to his gladiators um Proximo and he's He's looking out the window and he says, "You know, Rome. Do you know what it's like to, you know, enter the Colosseum?" And it, he's in this. He's almost like taken away. It's like this whimsical thing where, for a moment, he's not this slave owner. He he's like he's back being a gladiator like he was once, and he won his own freedom. And I. I Rome like Rome to me, that movie really exemplifies it you know it's it 's like absolutely glorious, um, and there 's so much of like you know art and God within that um, and i don 't mean just the Vatican, but obviously the Vatican you know you go there and you realize how many people live in poverty you know, in Italy, surrounding the Vatican, and then you've got the Vatican, and that's really striking to me, how much money is in in that, you know, I guess, principality. It's It's also really strange that you're in technically a different country once you enter, like, an entry point to go see the Vatican and museums and the Sistine Chapel. It was really trippy to me. Um, but, I mean, but it's kind of like Paris. Like, they're really took so much pride in, in in their city. And I mean, a lot of people say it's dirty and it's dangerous or whatever. Like a lot of places are like that. You're just going to get that no matter where you go, because human beings are human beings. Like you can't expect zero crime unless you've got like a minority report situation, which is probably what they'll do eventually with the world. You can't predict what people are going to do. Um, but I think Rome, it's just a matter of kind of relaxing and just Taking it in in all its chaos, insane driving, loud people, um, <laughs> kind of amazing gelati. I mean, everything they do, like with the French, is like they put everything into it to be a proper gelati maker. You have to do like a ten-year course in gelati production. It's it's like that's why you can never replicate it in a gelati shop in Melbourne, for instance, you know, <laughs> cause it's always just going to be some cheap replica cause it's art. Um, Rome's just an amazing city to just walk around on foot, really. Um, one day I walked 16 hours straight in Rome. People told me at my hostel, be careful on the underground, on the on the subway. It felt a bit dodgy, you know. It had a bit of a, a vibe like in the Paris Metro or something like that. But overall, there was no issues. There is quite a lot of petty crime, especially in the built-up areas um, with tourists. And there's also quite a lot of scams that they pull, especially in areas like the Spanish Steps and the fountain um, where the pantheon essentially where they're going to find tourists they'll be hanging around and if there's ever a guy who comes up to you and tries to give you a rose do not accept it because um, he will then demand that you pay him just like the scam where they put a bracelet on your wrist and then they start screaming when you don't pay them just kind of avoid these people be polite but firm and just say no and walk away. You don't have to kind of be all like, I'm sorry and stuff like that. Don't be an asshole. Um, but just, you know, make it fucking clear that you're not going to be messed with and, and you'll be fine. Um, and yeah, just, it's beautiful shopping on the Via de Corso. Um, just throwing, you know, doing touristy things, throwing a coin into the Trevi Fountain, um, visiting the Bocca della Verita, which i you put your hand in the lion's mouth like they did in the movie Roman Holiday, which I did. Um, I just can't think there's just so many things in Rome to see and do. And the closer you can stay into the city, the easier it is to see and do all those things and just kind of chill out. Um, so, yeah, Rome we've arrived at number one. And number one on my list is my favourite city in the world, Prague in the Czech Republic. Yes, everyone loves Prague and everyone falls in love with it. And I've never heard anyone who didn't like it. And that's for a reason. It just, the minute that you walk into that old town square, especially if it's winter and The Christmas markets are up and the snow is falling and you're standing under that astronomical clock tower and people are just milling around and it's got this really kind of central, almost Eastern European feel to it and everything is simply beautiful you can't help but fall in love with it Um, and there's a reason that places like Disneyland apparently have been based on places in the Czech Republic like Český Kromlov um, and little villages that are so famous. Um, Prague is just a joy, everything about it. I've been twice now. I went by myself the first time and I was meant to stay for two days. I stayed for (laughs) ten. I just did not want to leave it. I felt devastated leaving it. I got right up to the wire. I was meant to be in Scotland for Christmas, and that's a whole other story. Spent it with family. And it was still, it was December 21st, and I was still in Prague. I eventually got to Scotland. That's a whole other story. But just traversing this city is a joy. Um, The second time I went was I worked with a guy in England when I eventually moved there whose parents are Czech and it's funny how these things work out and they're from Prague and so his sister teaches English there. This was you know over 10 years ago so maybe she doesn't anymore. This was 10 years ago this year or last year I'm not sure. So um, we went and stayed with her and it was interesting the second time because I was around people who spoke Czech who you know, um, you could get around so much easier because it's still, I found them really impressive how much they spoke English and they're obviously like keeping up, with English speaking tourists and people in Prague. And it was so easy to get around. It's such an enjoyable city to walk around. Um, it's very kind of, especially the central parts are very kind of walkable. Um, and so I went October the second time I went, so I got to see it in winter and in autumn and it was very different experiences and it just looked equally beautiful, you know, standing on the Charles bridge, looking up to Prague castle or, you know, walking up to Prague Castle or going to St Vitus Cathedral, um, wandering around the town square, going to Wenceslas Square. And also the Holocaust history of Prague is really interesting and often overlooked. And the second time I went, I also got to go on a couple of day trips, um, which was really interesting with my colleague because his cousin lives in a little town um, outside of Prague about an hour. This beautiful boat, uh, the the word bohemian comes from the region Bohemia which is in the Czech Republic and it's just stunning countryside and we went to um, a town near to that called Karlstein and we walked right up to this castle and I've got pictures of it and the autumn views across the it was just like a cookie cutter picture perfect exactly what you'd expect and then we went to dinner with his friends family for his cousin's 16th and no one spoke English. And I just sat there like a complete prawn because no one spoke English except this like 16 year old kid who was really into video games. So I literally just talked to him and I have no idea about video games. And he had to learn all of his um, English through playing like Xbox with people from like Australia, America. And it was really weird because he was Czech, but he spoke with an American accent because he'd learned it that way. And so it was really interesting. Um, and the town where we went out for dinner was called Dobryzikovice because everywhere we went, he would make me repeat where we were or learn the street that his sister lived on or learn the name of the nearest station because he was worried that I'd get lost and never be able to find myself because my way back because she lived in like Praha 6 which is like further back from the city and it was very helpful because to this day I still remember them so clearly it like stuck in my mind when he told me um but I when I got back from uh, from living in England, I actually looked into getting my Czech visa and to live there. Cause I was like, oh, that's where my heart is. And I thought about it for years, but the issue is it's quite difficult and you have to have a job offer and you have to have already accommodation set up. And, um, it's not an easy place to immigrate to actually. Um, but once you do, I think, um, or if you've got a EU passport or something, it's just, yeah. Yeah. Um, just amazing. Um, I can recommend an accommodation, which is just outside of the old town, which I stayed at the first time and I would stay at it again. And it's a design hotel, which is still really cheap and it's just beautiful and amazing. And it's called Mosaic House. Um, and if you ever stay there and you want directions to my favourite bar in Prague, which I made my friend walk miles trying to find this place the second time I went because it's such a hidden little family run bar which is so rustic and instead of bar stools at the bar it's got swings wooden swings that you sit in and you swing and drink your amazing Czech beer um hit me up and I'll send you the directions because it's right around the corner from Mosaic House and I've got pictures of it and I'd love to see you if you go to Prague take a picture sitting in that seat swinging away. Czech beer is obviously some of the best in the world. And one of the towns that you can visit in the Czech Republic is uh, Pilsen, I think is how you say it, which is where Pilsner originated from. And Czech beer is so cheap to drink in Prague. And as you know, I'm not a gung-ho beer drinker. Um, If it's hot, I will enjoy one, but it has to be super cold. But in the Czech Republic, I drank so much beer because it's it's so nice. Um, It's as well as in Spain, actually, is a place where I did. Um, So Prague, I just can't recommend it enough. Everyone has to see it. If you go to Europe and there's one place to go and that's it, I would say go to Prague. Um, It's just beautiful. And try to go kind of in an off-season when it's not peak summer where you just can't move on the Charles Bridge all can't move in the town square go in winter it is absolutely incredible in winter right before Christmas um, with the Christmas markets and you're walking around drinking mulled wine and you know I love um, Czech food Czech bread dumplings which are impossible to make everywhere else apparently because my friend's mum used to go to Prague and buy all the ingredients to take back to England to make make these bread dumplings um and one of the best meals that you can have there which is these bread dumplings with this meat side and because the food in like central and west eastern Europe is very kind of stodgy I remember saying to someone like when I got home I think it was to my dad I haven't I didn't go to the toilet for like Ten days, because it, there's no. I just never was served anything with vegetables other than potatoes. Um, the the meal is called svichkova, and I I can't tell you how to how to spell that to look it up, but it is absolutely amazing. Um, and unfortunately, I'll just never have it again until I um until I return to the Czech Republic. I'm really big into kind of national dishes and trying them when I go to places. I had amazing goulash in Hungary, um, which really helped with this cold that I had. And it was just absolutely a godsend. But my favourite national dish is haggis. I just love haggis. And I had it homemade for me by family in Scotland. And there's a Scottish food truck in Melbourne, which I found. And I messaged them and I said, where are you parked? Like I said this recently because like you can never get Scottish food, like, and they sell haggis and Scotch eggs, like, proper Scottish food. And I, I was like, I want to surprise my dad for his birthday this year. Anyway, they're parked out like two hours away from where I live, so it was a bit of a letdown. But I would make the trek because I've just never seen haggis outside of Scotland or deep fried Mars bars or anything like that. So that's the other thing I would end on. Um, Try like national dishes. Like don't go to a place just to eat like McDonald's because it's just food is, you know, and like if you loved Anthony Bourdain or you want to expand your palate, kind of go and watch Parts Unknown episodes and how he talks about food with locals and stuff and how much food, plays a central role in the identity of a country. Um, it is so important and so much of its history and culture is entrenched in its food and you kind of learn that, you know, when you go and you you eat paella in Spain and that was a peasant food and so many foods in Europe were originally peasant foods. You know, pizza was a peasant food that was very basic and it still served very basic with very basic toppings and not at all in Italy, and not at all like what it's like in the West. Um, You know, svichkova was in Prague was like a peasant food, which is now, you know, probably trendy. Um, Goulash was, and now it's kind of the national dish. Um, And you really can't get better than eating the national dish or national dishes in a place. So at least, you know, try it um, and see if you like it, because the odds are that that you will. I hope that you enjoyed my top 10. It was kind of a last minute thing because I just had to do it all off the top of my head. That's just from my memories. Um, And I'd be interested to know, which if you're on Spotify, I've added a question. What's your favourite place in Europe um, that you've been to? So let me know. This kind of for an hour taken away my focus, although I've taken about 10 breaks between each place. Um, to realign myself and redo my hot water bottle. And I'm going to go and rub some Tiger Balm on my back, which is amazing. Um, Thai Balm, which truly helps with muscular stuff. Um, I'll just, I'll be back kind of when I'm back. I'm not like rushing myself at the moment. I've needed a bit of a rest. I do really long episodes. It takes a lot to put them together and I'm not kind of going to feel bad for just taking a little bit um, because mentally, um, sometimes you need a little bit of space. So I'll be back, um, next week with the next episode, which will take us to a completely new place we haven't been to before. And until then, um, have a great week and I'll talk to you soon.